Good morning. Good to see everybody that's here this morning. Uh, Edwin, thank you for your class. Thank you for your songs. Appreciate that. Brian, you can read Isaiah 53 anytime you want to the Lord's table. It always works. So Good to see everybody this morning. Looking back to the future is the title of our lesson taken from 2 Chronicles, the 36th chapter that uh, David read for us this morning. This is where we've been studying on Wednesday evening from uh, the book of 2 Chronicles. In 2 Chronicles, uh, there's a remnant that has traveled back from Babylonian captivity. And the writer is writing to encourage them. They're going to have an opportunity to rebuild their nation. But the question is, will they learn from their past? So there's three points we want to make this morning. Foundation of a nation. Cracks in the foundation. And then restoring a nation. The books of First and Second Chronicles, uh, oftentimes, as we mentioned in our class even, they get kind of overlooked. And one of the reasons why they get overlooked is because all the material that is contained in First and Second Kings, you, when you come to the books of First and Second Chronicles, you start to read that and you think, well, I've read this before. <laughs> but as we've mentioned in our class, the books of First and Second Kings are written for one reason, the books of First and Second Chronicles are written for another, and the perspective is kind of different. And if you skip over First and Second Chronicles, you're missing some pretty important material. Because First and Second Chronicles is written after the captivity, when they are going to come back. First and Second Kings is kind of history unfolding right before your eyes, and you see how glorious the kingdom becomes, and then how it turns away. And then Second Chronicles is written because there are some that are now returning from captivity, and he wants to encourage, wants to encourage them. Israel was a great nation. And it was founded in a covenant relationship with God. And under his guidance, they reached incredible heights for a small nation. I'm going to read to you from First, or from first Kings, first of all. First Kings, the fourth chapter, verses 20 and, and 21. Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. So Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. I'm going to skip over to chapter 10. And those who have been in that class remember this period of time in Israel's history when the queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon. So in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 6 and 7, and I'll skip down and read verse 9. Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes, and indeed the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame which I heard. Verse 9. Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Let the good times roll. It is all good in Judah and Israel. Let me ask you something. 
you recall these words. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God. You remember that? One nation under God. I want to read you something. Now, before I go any further, some may be thinking, is this going to get political? <laughs> the intent is not to be political, but I would say this. After going and uh, going through all this, putting this material together, going over and coming back, and I thought, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if it sounds like a duck, it may be a duck. <laughs> but I'm telling you, that's not really the intent. But the intent is this. When you think about Israel, a nation that was under God, and when you think about the United States, and we claim to be a nation under God, there's not an exact correlation, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm not saying the United States is God's people like Israel was God's people. That's not the point. But it was a nation that was founded upon faith in God and sought after religious freedom and the practice of it. And I believe it does, has had a great impact on what this nation has accomplished, what we have accomplished together because of those fundamental beliefs. So let me read this to you. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their powers from the consent of their governed. July 4th, 1776. You hear that? From their creator. Our founding fathers were influenced. Those who framed the Constitution were influenced by belief in God. So there is a correlation, is all I'm saying. And so I just ask you to listen as we go through this this morning. I'm going to try to make some points from First and Second Kings, from First and Second Chronicles, and various various other places in the Old Testament. You know, it's in First Kings as we were studying through that history. That we see David encourage Solomon, his son, to walk in God's ways. And we remember from 1 Kings, about the third chapter, when Solomon first came to the throne. And David had encouraged him and so forth. And he'd been greatly blessed that he'd come to be king over Israel. But yet he acknowledged that he was young, inexperienced. And what was it that he asked God for? You remember that? He asked that he might have wisdom. And did God grant him that wisdom? Absolutely. And not only because he asked for wisdom, God blessed him greatly in other areas because he had asked for wisdom. And as we read a moment ago from 1 Kings, the fourth chapter, Israel rose to great heights. And other nations recognized them. 
as being greatly blessed. And acknowledge their God. That's 1 Kings. <laughs> but we also know, because we were here to study this, 1 Kings, the 10th chapter, Queen of Sheba comes. But 1 Kings, the 11th chapter, things start to happen, don't they? And then we have Solomon pass from the scene, and then we have Rehoboam, and then we have Jeroboam, and then we have the north, and we have the south, and it's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and so by the time you get to the close of 2 Kings, Israel... Judah have been carried away. Crushed by a foreign power. Temple destroyed. Their capital laid waste. And they're gone away for 70 years. But then we come to First and Second Chronicles. And they are returning after those 70 years, at least a remnant are going to be returning. And the writer of Chronicles is writing to try and encourage them. And one of the things we even mentioned even this past Wednesday as we talked about what is recorded in First and Second Chronicles, he doesn't just start with that nation, but rather he goes all the way back to the very beginning. He goes clear to Adam. And he records the history in First and Second Chronicles, you got the history of the world clear up to 536 B.C. You got from the beginning with Adam all the way to the point where they are now returning under Cyrus. That's what we read this morning for our scripture reading. It's all there. And why does he write that? So that they will see how God has brought this nation into being. How God calls certain individuals. And from those individuals they grew into a multitude. And how he took that multitude and he entered into a covenant. And he made them a great nation. By making them a people. And by giving them a land. And by entering into a covenant with them. And they rose to incredible heights. But by the end of 2 Kings, they fell. And so in Chronicles, you see mostly, mostly, not totally, but mostly those good kings. But then you see some of those bad kings. It's a reminder so that they might look and say, remember the good times and what led to that? And remember the bad times and what led to that. And so now, as we take a look at Second Chronicles and we see these people starting to return, if you had an opportunity to speak to those people, what would you tell them? Would you say something like, hey, don't forget, Proverbs 14.34. <laughs> Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Would you tell them that? Would you tell them don't forget? Do you want to know what I think is so interesting about... Pause one second. It's run. Okay. Do <laughs> you know what I think is so interesting about that statement from Proverbs 
Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Who wrote that? Remember? Solomon. Solomon wrote that. And we think, wow. Solomon built the temple. Solomon was king when Israel reached their heights of prosperity and political strength. But Solomon was also one of the reasons for the cracks in the foundation that started the crumble of that nation. Proverbs, or uh, so, I'm sorry, Psalms. Psalms 127 and verse 1. It said, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Except the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You want to know who wrote those words? Solomon. Solomon. You know, as I think about those words and Solomon writing that, and I think about the history that's recorded and the things that Solomon did, and then I think about our own nation also. It was Jesus that said in Matthew, the seventh chapter, in about verse 24, that if any man hears those words of his and acts upon them, he will liken him unto a man who built his house on the rocks. You hear these words of mine, you act upon them, and that will be like a man who builds his house on the rocks. Looking to, honoring God, following after his words, that is a sound foundation. Right. Colby probably knows this. May 17th. 1776. May, not July 17, May, May 17, 1776, Congress calls for a day of fasting and prayer. Guess what they're going to do less than two months later? They're going to sign the Declaration of Independence. Six weeks prior, they're calling for everybody to stop, fast, pray. This is what we're getting ready to do. We want God's blessing. We know the rest of the story, right? So George Washington is inaugurated as the first president of these 13 colonies. And in the inauguration, do you swear to uphold and all those words? It was George Washington who added these words to the end of that. So help me God. He's the one that added it. So help me God. 
You know what he did next? He took his Bible and he kissed it. Acknowledging they were leaning on, desirous of God's providential oversight. They understood Daniel 4. God rules in the kingdoms of men and He gives it to whom He may. It was John Adams, second president of the United States, that said, Our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. For democracy to work, the majority of the people have to be religious and moral at their core or it falls apart. You hear what he said? Our Constitution works with people who are moral and religious. And if they're not, this thing's not going to work. I'm kind of interested in history myself a little bit, Colby. <laughs> you know, in the early days, it wasn't just those founding fathers. It was our institutions that were all so faith-based. You know that we didn't always have a federal school system? Did you know that? <laughs> and that those first schools that were established... They were based in faith. That you know, oftentimes they use the Bible as a reader. <laughs> you want to learn how to read? <laughs> Let's read this. Do you know that Harvard? I'll just ask you the question. Do you know how Harvard and Yale started as schools of ministry, training preachers? I don't know if I could listen to a preacher who came out of Harvard or Yale nowadays. <laughs> but that's the way they started. February eleventh, eighteen or yeah, February eleventh, eighteen sixty one. Abraham Lincoln, Springfield, Illinois. He said in regard to this great book holding up his Bible, I have but to say it is the best gift God has given to man. All the good the Savior gave to the world was communicated to us through this book. But for it, we would not know right from wrong. He understood Psalms 119-105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 1909, President Theodore Roosevelt, quote, After a week of perplexing problems, it does so rest my soul to come into the house of the Lord and to sing and to mean it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. My great joy and great glory in occupying this exalted position as president of this nation is that I am enabled to preach the practical moralities of the Bible to my fellow countrymen and hold up Christ as the hope and the Savior of the world. Teddy Roosevelt, rough writer, said to preach the moralities of this. 
to his fellow countrymen. You know, as we think back and just kind of briefly take a look at that, you think about the resolve that they had and that they were unapologetic about their faith. But then, you know, whether you think about Israel or whether you think about a modern country like the United States, do cracks in the foundation ever kind of show up? It was in Luke, the 11th chapter, in about verses 1 through 4, where Jesus' disciples came to him and they asked him to teach them to pray. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what he said? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. I read to you from the Declaration of Independence. We recognize that there are certain unalienable rights given to us by our Creator. These are given to us by the Creator, not by the government. Life Liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And the reason why government is instituted among men is to secure those liberties, those rights. Not to take them away. (laughs) They're saying that's why we're breaking away from a tyrant across the ocean is because he's imposing his will on us and we cannot pursue life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness because of the restrictions he places upon us. Jesus said, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you fast forward and you think about the Founding Fathers, the framing of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the faith in God, the freedom of religion, the practice thereof. So when did we see cracks in the foundation kind of start to show up? Because originally it's obvious for anyone who cares to read They were God-fearing, God-honoring, recognizing God as sovereign, His guidance as all-important. And we've gone from that to where now people are afraid to mention God because you might offend somebody. You can look this up for yourself. There's a group known as the Wilder Publications. It's a publishing company. And they started publishing copies of the Constitution and reprints of the Declaration of Independence. Sounds like a good thing, right? <laughs> a publishing company put that out there, put that out, the Constitution out there, put the Declaration of Independence out there, put that out there so everybody will have a chance to sit down and read it and see how we got our start and what it was founded upon. That's a good thing, right? 
except they bind them together and they sell them with a warning label. I'll read you the warning label. This book is a product of its time and does not reflect the same values as it would if it were written today. Parents may wish to discuss with their children how views on race, gender, sexuality, ethnicity, and interpersonal relations have changed since this book was written before allowing them to read this classic work. You parents ought to warn your children before they read the Constitution. The Declaration of Independence. Schools nowadays want to place immoral material in libraries. They want to teach sex education to elementary, little elementary students. They want to be or allow to aid children in gender transition without parents' knowledge. And this publishing company says that you ought to put a warning label on the Constitution and Declaration of Independence. Matthew 18 and verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 7. I have seen slaves riding upon horses and princes walking upon the ground. You know what? You know who wrote that? Solomon, once again. And what's he saying? Slaves riding on horses, princes walking on the ground. He said that that's all backwards. He said, I'm viewing the world and it's, it's upside down. So as you think about that, you think about Solomon writing those words and you think to yourself, well, <coughs> Solomon, when did all that start? When did things start to turn upside down, Solomon? When were the first cracks in the foundation, Solomon? You say you've gotten to a point that now I look upon the world and it's all backwards, it's upside down. Well, when did that start, Solomon? Let me read to you from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. They're still in the wilderness, right? <laughs> This is several centuries before Solomon comes to the throne. But you know what one of the commands that was given to kings were? They were to write this book for themselves and to have a copy of this book for themselves and to study this book so they might know it and not depart from it. So clear back in Deuteronomy, verse, chapter 17, verse 14. 
When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the other nations around me. Verse 16. But he shall not multiply horses for himself nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply for himself. Lest neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he be greatly multiplied in silver and in gold. First Kings chapter four and verse twenty six. Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses and for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. 1 Kings chapter 11. Verses 1 through 3. But King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you should not intermarry with them nor with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. But Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. When did it happen, Solomon? It's like what started it. Ecclesiastes 12, and it's oftentimes said that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes late in his life. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, what's he say as he concludes that book? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Solomon, did you come to realize it? So let me ask you this question. I don't listen to lots of music, but I enjoy good music. And as far as songs about this country are uh, songs pertaining to this country, Here's one of my all-time favorites. Ray Charles. You know what it is? America the Beautiful. Yeah. America, America. I wish I could sing like that. God shed His grace on thee. We sing that. One nation under God. We pledge that. So a while back, Tuesday, Glenn Beck, you ever heard of him? A school in Massachusetts. It's been a little while back. The principal decided they shouldn't have the American flags in classrooms anymore. 
and had them all removed. And that they should stop saying the Pledge of Allegiance. And they stopped. But there was a brave soul young man in that school that took up the fight. (laughs) And he wouldn't let it go. And after a while, I don't know if he just wore the principal down or what, it was finally agreed that they would allow the flags to go back in the room. But they weren't saying that Pledge of Allegiance. It was decided for those who wanted to, you could meet after school down in the lobby and you could say it together. It's almost like a covert operation in order to say the Pledge of Allegiance. I can tell you this. I worked six years at Park Hill South High School. And when I first started there, every morning we would stand and we would say the Pledge of Allegiance. But in six short years, I saw more and more kids not stand and say that. And before it was over, they don't say it at South anymore. That's not Massachusetts. That's just a few miles right down the road. I wanted to go ask history teachers, what's being taught now? Can we multiply incidents and see the cracks? Michigan, four Christians are arrested outside of a Muslim festival. They're not on the grounds of where the festival was taking place. They were outside of it. Two of those were former Muslims, now four Christians. They're handing out the Gospel of John in English and in Arabic. They were arrested. It said you're creating a stir. What happened to freedom of speech and freedom of religion? Supreme Court rules in a 5-4 to decision that on college campuses, organizations, religious in nature, do, listen to this, do not have to have officers who believe in the tenets of the organization. A group does not have to have officers that believe in the tenets of the Organization. Now let me unwind that for you so you understand what's being said here. Let's say you want to have a pro-life group on campus. You cannot deny membership of someone who is pro-choice. So you know what happens? You have a pro-life group. You get enough people who are pro-choice You go join that group and then you vote as president who? A person who is pro-choice. What just happened to the pro-life group? You just got assimilated, didn't you? Okay. You can't deny someone membership to your group. Is that upside down? That you could have an atheist become president of a Christian club? <laughs> when did the cracks begin? 
I can't tell you exactly, but I can tell you this, and you can look this up. 1962. A lot of things happened in the 60s. I was living in California. I'm telling you, there was a lot going on in California in the 60s. There's a lot going on today. The Supreme Court ruled that voluntary prayer at the start of each day in school was unconstitutional. It was in a landmark decision, Engel versus Vital. Here's the typical prayer because this was used in this case. It's from New York. The school district at that time had decided it's okay to say this until someone challenged it. It ended up going all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said you can't do this anymore. So here's the prayer. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence on Thee and we beg Thy blessing over us, our parents, our teachers, our nation. Amen. Is that offensive? To somebody it was. And so it was struck down and ruled, you can't do that. So American historian David Barton is also a Christian. He did a lot of research on what happened before and after 1962. And he said that the statistics are eye-popping and alarming. It was in these categories. In the categories of premarital sex, violent crimes, STDs, teen suicides, he said in each one of those categories for 10 to 15 years prior to 1962 and then 10 to 15 years after 1962. He said prior to that, those stats remained virtually flat. But then in 1963, there was a dramatic increase in every one of those areas. He said the only area that remained flat after 1962 for high school was SAT scores. <laughs> All these other areas. So was it coincidence? I don't know. I do know this. Things were changing in our country by the 60s. And Ronald Reagan said, if we forget that we are a nation under God, then we are a nation gone under. Isn't that what happened to Israel? So 1962 becomes like a reference point. But as I read that, I thought about Genesis, the 19th chapter. Lot's wife, remember her? They were told to get out of Sodom because it was so evil, so corrupt. And that when you leave, don't so much as look back. And so as they were making their escape, Lot's wife stopped, turned, and looked back. She was turned into a pillar of salt. What that did is it really revealed what was in her heart. 
I don't think 1962 turned our nation. I think it revealed what was already there. So now, restoring a nation. Second Chronicles, the 36th chapter, verse 22 and 23, which we read this morning. Cyrus, king of Persia, says that the Lord has told him to build him a house in Jerusalem and Judah. And all those, and all those who are God's people, let them go up. So by God's grace, they're giving a chance, or being given a chance to go back and rebuild that nation. And so first and second chronicles covers all of history from creation clear up to 536. And why does God want him to look back? I think one of the reasons is this. You can't restore something if you don't know how it was first built. So it won't be long and we'll study the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And they will show us that as they returned, the first thing they did is they set up the altar. Set up the altar. Set up worship. Set up sacrifice. First thing. Not long after that, the second thing that's going to happen is Ezra the scribe is going to come and he's going to teach the law, God's law, to that community of those who have returned. And then following that will be Nehemiah. And he will come and he will build the walls. It's the altar. It's the law. It's the walls. That's how you restore a nation. That's how it was built. God first. His law. And that builds a protective wall around His people. So we might ask. I think it's pretty obvious. We're not quite what we used to be. So how would you restore it? you got to have some kind of idea of how it was first built. And if you were to ask people, we might say some things like, well, first of all, we need Christians to go vote. <laughs> so I guess that's a little political, but we have a, a duty as living in this citizenry. Go vote. And then we might think, well, we should vote for those with Judeo-Christian principles, right? Those, those kind of people we ought to vote for. It's getting harder to find, right? That's what we, what we ought to vote for, right? Let me tell you what God said in Second Chronicles, the seventh chapter, about verses thirteen and fourteen, which is interesting. Because this is the second time that God appears to Solomon. So things are still going pretty good at this point. But in 2 Chronicles, the 7th chapter, at about verse 13, he says to Solomon, When I shut up heaven, and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, 
If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know what God's saying, Solomon? It may be good now, but I know what's coming. There's going to come a time when you're going to need to turn. And this is what you do. My people called by my name turn, pray, seek my face. And I'll heal the land. You know, as we think about us in general, as just citizens of this country, we've almost become conditioned, haven't we? And when I say that, we've become conditioned to take this and go, it's your fault. And we point fingers. We know something's wrong. We're just kind of pointing at different ones and saying whose fault it is. Sometimes we point at Congress and say, well, it's Congress's fault. You know? And then sometimes people say, well, it's them Republicans. It's them Republicans' fault. You know? And then the Republicans say, no, it's, it's the Democrats' fault. I'm pretty confident of that. It's the Democrats' fault. Sometimes people say, well, I think, I think it was Obama's fault. Somebody said, no, no, it was for that. It was Bush's fault. It's Trump's fault. It's Biden's fault. Did I miss anybody? Have I insulted everybody? <laughs> What's God say? He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, God's speaking to Israel. The United States is not Israel. I made that plan before. Well, we have to ask ourselves, how many people in this nation are God's people? And then we've got to ask ourselves, why is that? You know, a lot of times, even to this day. I told you while we were on vacation, I came back and told you about visiting that church and they had just gotten back from Ghana. That's great. But somehow in that attempt, in that effort to evangelize the world, we forgot about evangelizing right here. While we were focused there, our own nation was turning away. And the cracks in the foundation were showing up. I will tell you this, and I can quote this from the Obama administration. In his first term, he said, we are no longer a Christian nation. And some people heard that and they gasped. And it's like, oh, how can he say such a thing? Was it true? Sometimes truth hurts, but... Psalms 127 and verse 1. Solomon, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who built it. 
unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Daniel 4. God rules in the kingdoms of men and He gives it to whom He will. And when Israel was faithful, but when they turned, He took it away. Solomon, when did the crack start? 40,000 horses. Psalms 20 and verse 7, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. We get to trusting in our military might. We get to trusting in our finances. And we forget about the Lord. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar is the one who came and carried them away. And Daniel interprets his dream for him. And it's the Babylonians. It's the Persians. It's the Greeks. It's the Romans. And then in the days of those kings, the Romans, God of heaven will send and He will set up His kingdom which will never come to an end. You know what that says? He builds on the ruins of men's kingdoms. They all fall. His stands forever. In Isaiah, in the 56th chapter, about verse 10, he's talking about the watchman over Israel. He said, His watchmen are blind. They are ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving, loving to slumber. You know what he's saying? If you have a watchdog that won't bark, what good is he? Right? And that's what he's saying about Israel's watchmen. They didn't bark. They saw the cracks. Where were they? So, Matthew 5, verses 13 and 14. Jesus speaking to His disciples. And He says, You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. Who's He talking to? He's talking to His disciples. You know what the lesson is we learn from the Old Testament? If you're going to speak up, now's the time. Right? The immorality that's all around. He's saying don't be silent. Rebuild God's way. Under Solomon's reign, when Israel was at its peak, God had told him, when you turn away, if you will humble yourselves and pray and seek my face, then God would heal their nation. When they were with God, God was with them. It's the altar. It's the law. It's the walls. That's the way in which you rebuild. Well, I extend the invitation to any and all that are here this morning. If we can help you in any way, make your relationship right with the Lord today. You let us know while together we stand, while we sing.